You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, and there's no better place to begin with this episode of Kegolas. So first of all, delighted to say that I am joined by Mike LaHood and Ian Joy. The episode begins right now. Mike, how are you doing, my friend? Great to see that you're still in that photo booth. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm smoking a spliff that you can't see. And yes, I said spliff because we can <laughs> on this podcast. So happy. Cheek to cheek, cheese in. Cannot wait to dissect this. Oh, you know what? I'm loving the, the the punky edge to this pod already. And who better to bring back into the fold than Ian Joy? Lovely <laughs> to have you, my friend. How are you doing? JJ, it's great to see you, Mike. Great to see you as well. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute honor to be here. And there's been so many great games, a lot of controversial talking points, by the way. This weekend got me a little hot, so I can't wait to get stuck into it. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we don't we don't have to look any further than uh, the the king of controversy picking through. So let's uh, let's get started. So no place uh, that we can begin other than Old Trafford, Man United against Arsenal. So I mean, honestly, just so much to to unpack there. Massive win, obviously, for for Manchester United. Uh, and you know, Mike, I mean, you must be absolutely over the moon with the result. I feel like a proud father of a team of young superstars in the making. Jeez, this was a defining sort of game for Manchester United. In the preview to this game, we had talked about maybe this game coming a bit too early, a lot of new faces. And I think if let's start at the back. That partnership between Varane and Martinez is looking better and better with each game. And you want your defenders, you want that center back partnership tested against the best. And they're playing against the top team in England today. And they made them look a bit average towards the end of the game. Arsenal looked brilliant in the first half, but the longer the game went on, they bullied Gabriel Jesus. And in the midfield, this game was down to the brilliance of Christian Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes. They were excellent for 90 minutes. Yeah, absolutely uh, delightful to, to see the team clicking, you know, in a way that we really haven't seen for such a long time. But Ian, I'm going to go to you first for your thoughts specifically on Anthony. Obviously, you know, the bar has been set very, very high, both based on his performances with Ajax, but also, you know, the, the price tag on him coming in. The fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is still there. We'll get on to CR7 in a little bit. Uh, you know, but how did you make, uh, what did you make of his first steps uh, as a Red Devil? 
Well, Cristiano Ronaldo on the sidelines, especially after he stroked home that goal, was like a proud daddy just with a little golf yeah. clap on the sidelines. I loved it. I thought it was great. And I actually think that the move for Anthony personally is a good one because we want to see how good this kid really is. We want to know how good he can become. And clearly, Manchester United are a team that are trying to get back to the big stages, trying to be obviously the great that they once were. And I think adding a piece like Anthony is a great bit of business. However, it's a lot of money that's been spent on him. And to have that type of price tag be thrown in at the deep end in a big game. I mean, we're talking a top-of-the-table clash against a team that is bang on fire and being able to produce. Not easy to do for any player, but I think that Anthony really just kind of quietly edged his way into the game, thought a few nice touches, tried to pull off a couple of skills that didn't quite happen for him. And just before the goal, he did that little trick that was sort of clapped away from the Arsenal fans in a way. It looked good, but really not that good. This is the Premier League. You're going to have to bring something a bit more if you want to have an impact. And Moments later, he got the goal, and what an amazing impact that was. I think the overall performance from him was good. It was a nice introduction, and I'm actually really surprised and very, very happy that he was thrown into the starting 11. And Mike, uh, do, you, do you echo those sentiments? I mean, is he uh, living, up to the, living up to the billing so far? I think it's really hard to say living up to the billing for the price tag, but to get a debut goal, the magnitude of the game, First class, the finish itself, his debut was down to the finish. So many big money transfers bottle it. The composure you have to have, the execution, he opens up his body. Marcus Rashford, we're going to get to him in a second because he's a big talking point. But Marcus Rashford tees him up and to have the composure, to have the awareness to set himself up, settle down and open up his body. That was a first time strike waiting to happen. And that gives you a glimpse of potential things to come. He did that at Ajax and he brings that to United. All right, CTA, for the viewers, how do you guys rate Anthony's debut on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, Mike, I'm glad that you mentioned Marcus Rashford there. I'm going to go to Ian first for this one. Ian, what do you make of this, this rebirth for, for, for Rashford uh, under Eric Ten Hag? I mean, obviously, this was the most impressive performance so far. But, you know, he's a guy who it feels like he's kind of needed this breath of fresh air for the last 12 to 18 months now, especially after such a difficult Euros uh, with England. Yeah, Mr. Manchester United, right? I mean, many would say Mr. Great Britain, the way he's handled off-the-field issues and how much of a spokesperson he has become off the field. It's incredible to see him obviously take so much pressure on his shoulders and be able to perform. And even through the difficult times when Manchester United are struggling, clearly he's going to be a target. Now it's important for him to be able to produce with a new man at the helm. You've got to bring your performance week in and week out. For Manchester United, when they're trying to challenge once again at the top of the table, you got to bring your performance. Otherwise, very quickly, and we also heard that there was rumors that maybe he might leave the club. I think he's Manchester United through and through, and I'm so happy he decided to stay. I'm so happy that Manchester United decided to stick with him and continuously give him opportunities to help United back on track. thought this performance today was very good. thought he was very, very good on the first goal. And, you know, a great pass, obviously, out wide for the finish. Um, I thought the midfield really helped him, got a lot of touches on the ball. He was battered left, right, and center by that Arsenal defense. And he kept his composure, although leading up to, I think it was the second goal or the third goal, I can't remember which one it was, where he just had that little clash with Gabriel. And uh, he kind of lost his composure just for a split second and then all of a sudden got his goal. And that's what I want to see from Marcus Rashford. You do your talking on the field. Off the field, the way you handle life and how much of a spokesperson you are, we admire that. 
But when it comes to football, only your performances will do the talking for you. And I thought this performance today was very, very good from Rashford. And of course, the goals is only going to bring more confidence. I think it's a big call from Tin Hag from the moment go. You played Ronaldo in that Brentford game. It didn't work out. His head's not in it. He looked a bit more of a flash of who, who he is today, a bit more desire. But to put Marcus Rashford at the number nine position was a big gamble from the start of the season, and now it's starting to pay off. Remember, Marcus Rashford did not start his Manchester United career as a winger. It was as a number nine, and he had some big goals against the likes of a Manchester City who were winning the Premier League at the time, and he was very young doing so, winding back the clock in his young career to his best. Pace, composure, execution on that second goal for United. I, I loved his movement. I think having Ronaldo not in the team – you're getting the best out of him and Jaden Sancho. There's a connection. It's almost telepathic. And Marcus Rashford hold up play and bringing other teammates in. The the assist on the Anthony goal, the awareness, back-to-back games where Rashford has set up the goal that set the stage for someone else to put the ball in the back of the net. And Bruno Fernandez, Christian Eriksen, they now know they have a player who is regaining form that it's almost instant. As soon as they get the ball, if there's no pressure on either of them, The ball's in behind for Rashford. And Arsenal, a team that likes to press, a team that likes to win second balls and and be very reactive once you break down their first press, they keep a high line. And credit to Rashford for recognizing where the game was going to be won and lost. And that is runs in behind. And and just love what I saw from him today. And hey, Marcus Rashford, I can finally say he's back. He's back, baby. And you know it, Mike. It's confidence, right? If you have a lot of confidence, and of course, as a finisher, you want to score goals. You have to score goals to gain that confidence. But this comes down to results and the performances and also what happens in training sessions. The confidence that Ten Hag is giving a kid like him. Obviously, this um, enthusiasm for football again, this love for the game, where I thought last year, he just looked like he was lost. He looked like he mm-hmm. lost love for the game. And now you see this love coming back. Scoring goals is a confidence boost for him individually but I think as a team collectively you can just see there's an absolute buzz around Manchester United right now I absolutely love it and I thought United overall listen it was a good performance it was not a great performance and it wasn't a great game it was a good game today and both teams really had some big chances in the game to go and win it progress nonetheless well we've got a 7 out of 10 rating uh, for Anthony from Matt Osmond but he's saying that he still wants to see a bit more of him taking on opponents one on one and was a little conservative I'm sure he's going to have time in his Manchester United career to to grow into it but uh, you know this is not just about Manchester United it's also about Arsenal because this was Arsenal's first real test uh, you know and obviously they failed it in terms of the result Uh, Obviously, there were certain things that changed over the course of the game. But one question here being put forward, did Arsenal miss their midfield depth today, such as Partey and uh, Elneny? Uh, Ian, I'll let you go for that one first. Yeah, I think any time, I mean, obviously leading up to this game, there was doubts about who was actually going to start this game. Zinchenko, obviously, clearly we were, we were expecting him maybe to miss this game. Then all of a sudden he trains and now he starts this game. Um, and then in midfield, Odegaard, was he going to start the game? Was he not going to start the game? There was big question marks. And I can't imagine that helps preparation going into a top of the table clash, especially for a club like Arsenal, who are looking to obviously maintain that record at the top of the table. I think um, it's frustrating, but what Arsenal have done, and you also notice that in large phases of the game today, they've got quality and depth now. So if a player misses out, another one steps in and it's pretty much business as usual. But today was a big test for Arsenal. I was really, really intrigued to see how well they would handle the situation defensively. 
could they still create good opportunities offensively? And I thought it was a good game today. I thought Arsenal played well in phases of this game. They looked really dangerous. I mean, they looked the better side for long periods of this game. And I think that midfield, okay, that's where Manchester United pretty much won the game. Arsenal giving up possession in midfield, United on the counter-attack, one great run in behind, little cutback um, or a cross or a side pass from Eriksen, whoever makes that run from midfield. And that's what essentially killed the game off for Manchester United. But Arsenal will learn a lot from this game, no doubt about it. They've got a quality squad. I really like Arteta. Um, you can see his passion. But I think, obviously, not having a full squad training ready to go in preparation for this game does not help at all. Certainly doesn't help with the chemistry. But I think that they maybe the, the scoreline favours Manchester United a little too much. It was probably a little bit closer than it ended up. When you look at games, at the end of the day, goals change games. If that Martinelli goal stands then I think Old Trafford's in for a shock. Remember, Manchester United, they were on the front foot, and we've seen that when they played at Old Trafford. We've seen, we saw that in the Liverpool game. Is Teams that survived that first blast, Brighton did it. They survived that first 10, 15-minute just surge from United, and then the game settles. And then there's a little bit of doubt that starts settling in for players and the crowd. The crowd is on edge for a goal so they can breathe a sigh of relief. Well, Arsenal gets what they think is a goal, and I think it was a correct decision from the referee, but also incorrect in the use of VAR because I've, I've never seen that before where the ref calls one decision and completely goes and says, you know what, I'm going to re-referee the whole thing. It's almost like playing a movie in real time and say, you know what, let's scrap the whole movie, toss it in the bin and reshoot the whole thing. You don't do that in sports. But as a United fan, you can do it every week as long as it's for your Manchester United. Thank you very much. But I, I think back to that moment, that was a decisive moment for United because they were let off the hook by VAR and they go on to get a lifeline and you have to take advantage of what you're given. They get the goal before half, which is a big moment. You're taking momentum in. Credit to Arsenal, though. Very different Arsenal team from last year. Young guys, young players stepping up. Saka getting the goal. And the reaction after going down at a difficult place to play, I think Mikel Arteta is going to be happy with that. In terms of giving up the goals, he'll look back on that and say, hey, we need to tighten up things. But as Arsenal fans, I would not I would not be too down in the dumps. This was an opportunity missed, but I, I still think they're going to be in the conversation of top four by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, we had a comment earlier, um, somebody saying that it won't reflect well on Arsenal. I mean, I think it would be easy to jump to too many conclusions too soon. Arsenal have been very impressive so far this season, you know, both in their ability to blow teams away and grind out results. Uh, and I think sort of missing out in a game where it could have gone one way, could have gone the other, uh, you know, with regards to the, the Martinelli goal that was ruled out. We'll get back to discussing that in a little bit. But, you know, it felt like, you know, it could have quite easily finished in a draw for me. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, United took the chances when they came. And I think the, the thing as well is that, you know, United are now starting to take some teams by surprise, whether it was their slow start to the season that kind of lured other teams into like a false sense of security. But suddenly there's this unity, this, you know, this energy, uh, you know, the players are playing for each other for the first time in a long, long time. And, you know, we see a, a, a team like Arsenal who are also in a, you know, a very positive uh, spiral. And I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's quite easy to forget that there are still perhaps little fine tuning and uh, adjustments to, to be done to this team. And Arteta will certainly be able to use this kind of result because you know let, let's look at it you know it's they've still had a very very good start to the season it's not you know going to do their chances of finishing you know certainly in the Champions League qualification positions any harm uh, you know and it certainly doesn't rule them out of being potential title contenders just on the back of this one result 
No, it doesn't. And, and obviously you're seeing that the Premier League is very competitive this season. It's not going to be just that one horse race or maybe that two horse race that we have seen in previous years. It's going to be very difficult for Manchester City, Liverpool to win games. You've already seen that already this campaign. And for Arsenal to have such a great start like they had, clearly they're filled with confidence and all the media talk and the fan talk about can this be our year? It's too early to get carried away with it. And Eventually, at some point in the Premier League campaign, you're going to really get a knockdown. And this was it for Arsenal. And you, you hit it right on the head there, JJ. This was a good performance from Arsenal. It wasn't as if they turned up to Manchester United at Old Trafford and didn't play. They played. They played with confidence. They made mistakes and they were punished for their mistakes. I think that was the difference right there. It was a closer game than obviously the result shows. But I think it was a good performance from Arsenal. And again, Clearly lessons to be learned from that type of performance, but Arteta will take a lot from that game. He'll learn, he'll improve, he'll move on to the next game. Obviously, got Europe to deal with as well and try to see if they can continue to pick up some more positive results. Well, we've got a very passionate Ian Joy with us today, and I'm glad because we've got a bit of controversy to pick through next. I mentioned the the Martinelli goal being ruled out. Uh, I'm just going to put it to you straight uh, this way, Ian. Did the referee commit and clear an obvious error in ignoring the foul on Christian Eriksen, who, by the way, I thought was very impressive and has been very impressive since joining United on the side? Yeah, I think um, I'll back you up there. I thought Eriksson was great again today. I mean, not only his passing, his link-up play with Bruno Fernandes was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Those runs from midfield, I mean, so dynamic, so dangerous. He looked great. He looked very good. Now, going back to the controversial talking point, it will always be Mike. Mike got it spot on. This is a big talking point because this changes the whole story of the game as far as I'm concerned. Had Arsenal got that goal, it looks a very interesting game from Manchester United's point of view because they dropped their performance. They started off great, conceded that goal and really were in a bit of a, a lull. So the decision itself, I find it very, very soft. And watching Manchester United um, kind of give up possession in midfield, they did it four or five times today. Eriksen getting caught in possession of the ball, even though he's trying to do things offensively, it will happen. But that type of decision... To go to video review, I mean, it is such a soft call. And I, I love the way that Arsenal took the goal. The goal was absolutely phenomenal. Martinelli finish was absolutely brilliant. Passed through from Saka. Excellent. That's what Arsenal are in that type of position when they win possession of the ball. Just brilliant. But I think that the decision itself is very, very soft. Now, VAR steps in to this type of decision. And even when you're watching it over and over and over again, like the referee did when he went over to the sidelines, I'm still finding it hard to agree with the decision. I think it probably is a foul, but it is incredibly soft of a decision. Yeah, I, as a United fan, I breathed a sigh of relief because I had my my hand in my head thinking, here we go again. This is when reality hits, and this is when my bartender at the local bar downstairs will have me on speed dial saying, I've got the cold one for you. It's coming right up. When I when I look at Erickson and how he got stuck in that play, Martin Odegaard, I thought he had quality moments for the goal that he set up. I think it was the pass in to Gabriel Jesus. He's a left-footed player in two touches, just side foots it around the defender and slips it into Jesus and Saka gets the rebound. But on that play, his ability to collapse and back press defensively, it's one of the most underrated things that he's learned under Mikel Arteta. He's an out-and-out out, out out attacking midfielder when he was at Real Madrid, young player with loads of potential, but a player like that doing the work defensively is going to cause problems for a deep-lying playmaker like Christian 
Erickson. I agree with the end. I thought it was a soft call, one that United, United fans all around the world, and Old Trafford benefited from. And with the referee, this is my this is my tiff with VAR. The inconsistencies of the letters of the law, it's still open to interpretation. Some referees are going to say, you know what, that's a soft call. Some are going to say, you know what, I got it spot on. At the end of the day, refs are refs, and VAR why do we have it? <laughs> it, it's, it does my head in. I say that even though my team won, we're going to have these mistakes. And this was a massive weekend for VAR decisions gone wrong. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike. And uh, one update, uh, you know, just as we've started the podcast, you've got PG, MOL, accepting that VAR decisions at Chelsea and Newcastle were wrong and that they will fully cooperate with a Premier League review of the incidents. But like you said, it's not the only controversy this weekend. You've got that uh, Coutinho goal against Manchester City that was ruled out. Uh, as we already mentioned, you've got the Newcastle goal. You've got the McAllister goal also ruled out. Uh, and you've got David Moyes blasting that absolutely rotten decision to disallow West Ham's late equaliser against Chelsea, as we mentioned already. So, you know, I'm going to throw it over to you now, Ian. Is it, you know, a, a pretty black weekend for the Premier League in terms of some of the, the refereeing and officiating? You think? You think, JJ? I mean, this is the talking <laughs> just, point, right? Just, just slightly. I mean, I'm trying to pump the brakes on my, my, my Villa heart bursting forward after seeing Coutinho slam that shot in and then realising that it wasn't going to count. Listen, I thank you for winding me up and sort of fishing me in here, talking about the energy. I might pick this camera up and throw it when I think about some of the decisions that happened this past weekend. I mean, video review, I think, has really helped the game. I really believe that. Overall, I've seen different leagues handle it differently. Um, followed closely. The Bundesliga obviously played in Germany for five years, so I follow the league closely. And I think the German officiating is perfect when it comes to video review. And the way they handle it in the Premier League, um, with the inch-by-inch inch looking of an offside call and then obviously video review stepping in for some big-time controversial decisions this weekend. I mean, just absolutely mind-blowing sometimes. It makes me not want to have it in the league anymore because I think of the big picture of the game. Why, why are we watching? Why do we love this game? It's an entertainment for us. It, we love it. We obviously... We've played it, we've covered it for many a year, and we've supported it all of our lives. So we love the entertainment value of the game, and we want to see more goals. I don't want to see an inch decision, a trailing leg. I mean, I'm talking about a soft trailing leg, take a goal away from a team who's fought so hardly to get back into a game, or to see a world-class finish into the top corner being taken away for an offside that potentially wasn't even interfering with play. Video review stepping in far too much in the Premier League. It's driving me crazy stopping it. And um, obviously, uh, Mike will be able to tell you this as well. When you're an analyst or a color analyst or a play-by-play -play and you're calling games now that video review stops, the first thing you do instead of passionately giving your goal call is you look to video review. You look to the referee. Players are no longer enjoying their celebrations anymore. First thing they're doing is worrying about video review and what the referee's thinking. Is it going to be called back? So it's, it's kind of ruining the game. It's ruining the flow of the game. It's certainly ruining the enjoyment. And this weekend, I would actually categorize as an embarrassment for the Premier League the way it was officiated. I am so glad you talked about the, the flow of the game because I think of teams like the West Hams. I think of the underdogs. How many times do we see VAR go for them? A lot of times we see the big teams get VAR given in their direction, especially when they're playing at home. I'm talking about you, Real Madrid because you get on my nerves when VAR goes on your way. But that's for Champions League, for the pod. When I when I look at this weekend, the West Hams of the world, the Aston Villas, 
if those decisions are left to the flow of the game, I mean, those are massive points. Those are massive points for a team like West Ham, who is just almost rooted to the bottom of the league. So many players coming in. If you get a point against Chelsea away from home in a Derby match that breathes life into your season, and maybe you go on to get three. And for Aston Villa, the Coutinho strike, wow, what a worldie. The inconsistency, the the, the differences in interpretation that, that's all around the world. My biggest worry is that when it comes to the biggest tournaments, we're talking about league play in, a, in one bad weekend, when it comes to the biggest tournaments, we could end up having an absolute disaster. I think of the FIFA World Cup coming up. I think of the Champions League, uh, AFCON, VAR, you know, potentially being implemented there it's just it's becoming the focal point of the game now and not playing football yeah you're absolutely right and uh, you know i'm sure unfortunately we know that this is not the last time that we'll be discussing officiating and questioning uh var's role in things but let's move things on a little bit like you said it it was a massive weekend there were some big big results uh, and none more so sort of in the in the race to avoid being the next manager to be sacked because you've got steven gerrard frank lampard picking up some really important points with their results with uh, everton and villa respectively over the weekend but brendan rogers and leicester being given an absolute hiding by Brighton. Uh, Mike, was this uh, Brendan Rodgers' last game in charge of Leicester? Because it's such a messy situation that they've had a really difficult start to the Premier League season, financial difficulties. It hasn't been easy to replace, uh, you know, quality players like Fofana, uh, you know, on a shoestring budget. Uh, and it's going to cost Leicester money to, to get rid of Rodgers as well. But also at the same time, when you look at some of the attitudes, you know, in the in in the match, you know, you, I'm, I'm talking about players like Morrison, you know, it, it really doesn't fill you with confidence for Rodgers in being able to turn that ship around. Yeah, our producer, Des Norris, hit it right on the head. When I looked at the team sheet, when you have a big game, and Brighton is a big game now with how they've started and where they continued from last year, and one of your most iconic players over the last five, six, seven years is on the bench. That tells you, and it's a striker, when you're not scoring goals and your lead striker is on the bench, there's massive problems. And Ian, I, I'm sure you played it with uh, Jamaican guys and Jamaican teammates. I had a Jamaican teammate in the latter stages of my career, and he used to say the perfect thing when the season wouldn't start well and the manager's job was on the line. He would say, son, the blade is warm. For Brendan Rodgers, the blade is getting piping hot because I think it's his last potential scene in the Premier League. It's not. It, it, it's gone from bad to really, really, really worse. So we'll see, but I think it could be time. Listen, I, th I think the decision to bench Vardy is, is okay because you've got a, obviously a legendary, iconic striker at the football club who's going to influence the media and the conversation if you're losing games, if he doesn't play. But when, when, you're, not, excuse me, when you're not scoring goals... That's a big problem for a club like Leicester who are bottom of the table, haven't won a game. They're looking to try and obviously kickstart their season. I thought the strikers did well today. I thought uh, Pat Sendaka in particular, I mean, what a fabulous finish he put out there. Yeah, Nacho as well, um, getting a goal. So offensively, I didn't see much of a problem with Leicester, especially in the first half. Second half, obviously different, but I thought defensively, and it's the body language. Madison in particular, I was watching the performance today and I just saw somebody who has no enthusiasm, no confidence, 
certainly doesn't believe in what's happening at the football club. Almost looks like he was kind of um, proving a point out there in midfield, not tracking back, giving up possession of the ball. And then maybe Johnny Evans was the only one who was being a true leader, you know, trying to inspire his team and, and, and really shouting at the players to try and get them going, especially when Madison gives up possession of the ball for a goal. It's almost as if he didn't care. And that, to me, is just inexcusable when it comes to teams who are at the bottom of the table. If you don't have fight, if you don't have desire, it is so, so disappointing. Um, but I think that Brennan Rogers, as you mentioned, there's no doubt he's on the hot seat. There's no doubt that his comments last week, he inspired, uh, obviously, this conversation about him being on the hot seat, about the lack of commitment, the lack of funds available, the lack of changes. And it's a big disappointment. I'm a big fan of Brennan Rogers. Um, I think he's done a great job at that football club. But it's a real shame to see the state that it's in right now as far as him being unhappy and the players not really playing for him. Well, the record in the Premier League so far for managers who have gone after the club and gone after ownership and saying how unhappy they are, undefeated. The last manager that did that, his job was gone within a week after a really poor result. And this could be the last scene for Brendan Rodgers if you're ownership because no owner or no ownership group likes to be criticized, especially in the media. Those are conversations, and that's just frustration building up. Those are conversations that happen behind the scenes. And I think of the players that have World Cup implications, the players that are trying to fight for their place, and a player like Yuri Tillemans, his place is not cemented in the Belgian national team. With other players being focal points, with other players getting good results and being on teams that are winning, if you're him, where do you go? What do you do? Because you had your opportunity for a potential move to be on a team like an Arsenal, to, to potentially be on United, although United had everyone. I think Ian, you and I probably got texts that we didn't see that United wanted us to come to the team in the transfer window. But if you're him, what do you do moving forward? Because it's a big gamble on your international career to stay and with a project that isn't really working as much anymore. Well, you mentioned the uh, transfer window and big gambles. Well, Nottingham Forest, who were Europe's big spenders over the transfer window, they squandered a two-goal lead against Bournemouth, so their difficult start to the season continues. Both City and Liverpool dropping points in draws. City drawing with uh, with Villa and uh, Liverpool drawing the Merseyside derby with uh, Everton. Spurs eking out a 2-1 win against Fulham. But the, the last talking point before we finish the Premier League chat for me was Brentford absolutely thumping Leeds 5-2. Jesse Marsh seeing red. Ivan Tony with a fantastic hat trick, you know, prompting, you know, speculation that he could be called up for, for England. What did you make of all of that mayhem, Ian? Well, I'll start on the Jesse Marsh conversation. Um, listen, he's done a great job this season with Leeds United. I love his energy. I love his passion. Um, obviously played against Jesse and, and he's crazy. Man, the guy's nuts. Um, worked with him a little bit on, on CBS shows leading up to Champions League games. I spoke to him a lot during his time when he was at Leipzig. And, and he's, you know this as well, Mike. And JJ, you worked alongside me on these Champions League shows. He's a passionate guy. I mean, the guy just lives and breathes football and he bleeds passion for wherever he's at. He's all in. And that's what you're seeing from Jesse Marsh. But I think he's got to calm down. He's got to be very, very careful because this discipline or lack thereof with discipline on the sidelines doesn't bode well when your players lose their discipline out there on the pitch. And that might end up happening with a Leeds United side who are obviously trying to win as many games as possible. And the way that they play, the fireball attitude and energy that they have out there on the pitch. 
you've got to be a true leader for them out there. So I think you'll hear Jesse and you'll probably see him this week, you know, try to play down the media, try to calm his players down. That was a bit of an embarrassment. Not a good result for them, but this was um, another top-class individual performance and a team performance as well from Brentford. Tony is a phenomenal player and and what a great finisher he is. I mean, he is an out-and-out goal scorer and if you put him into any team in the Premier League, the kid would score goals. That's how good he is. And maybe the biggest compliment I could possibly pay him. But I love watching them play football as a team collectively. The fans get into it. They are well coached. That was a fun game. I am thinking back to my Manchester United because uh, I felt really responsible. And I don't know why as a fan, when things go the wrong way, you, you take on responsibility. Like, ah, I shouldn't have worn those shoes. I should have worn the other shoes. Or I comb my hair this way. But I go back to when Brentford humiliated United. And Brentford's just their work rate, and they're physically imposing. The discrepancy between them and Leeds United, it looked like boys versus men. Just the physical disparity between the two teams was immense and their ability to get forward on the counter. And when you have a striker like that, when you have an attacker who is in form in that game and just had a ruthlessness and it showed after the game, he went on Twitter and he, you know, was probably a bit salty saying, Hey, this goes out to everyone who didn't put me in your Premier League fantasy Premier League team. How do you like me now? And Tony, I was listening. I put you in. I'll captain you next week because that was my mistake. But First-class performance by him as an individual and first-class performance by Brighton. Big lift at the start of their career, or the start of their season. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have to put my hands up. I put Brentford down as a team who could be in difficulty at the bottom of the table. So uh, I'm being made to look the fool at, uh, at this moment in time. <laughs> but, uh, fing- fingers crossed that they can continue these kind of performances because it is really impressive. And I kind of worried for them that once Ericsson was taken out of the mix, they might struggle for creativity. But scoring goals, certainly not a problem when you've got someone like Ivan Tony uh, in, the, in the mix there. So fantastic stuff so far, guys. We're going to go to a quick break and then we'll be back for more goodness, including some Serie A chat. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Well, not only is CBS and Paramount Plus the home of the Champions League, it's also the home of Serie A as well. And you can stream every minute of every game quickly and easily. Sign up for your very own account right now. Do it today to an avail of one free month trial by going to paramountplus.com forward slash Italy. And tomorrow is the final day of the office. So get it done. Click the try it free button and use the promo code Italy for instant access to the best Italian club soccer available across all of your devices. Visit paramountplus.com forward slash Italy. Today and start streaming today guys we had an absolute feast of matches over the weekend in italy let's start with ac milan at 3-2 inter did the better team win in i thought it was a great game i thought the derby was was an outstanding game the atmosphere in the stadium was brilliant um i think the better team did win on the day and i think you have to criticize inter milan for the way they defended in that game it was really really poor i mean the way they were sort of static defensively was was a real shell shock for me. And it's something to to really be worried about when it comes to Champions League because they got a big game coming up against Bayern and that's that doesn't bode well for them. But when you're having a derby game against a team that's obviously just had great success in the domestic league, um, they are champions for a reason. I didn't expect to see that type of performance from Milan. And it was very, very good. Um, they obviously tried to create as many opportunities as they could for Leao. They obviously tried to create as many opportunities as they could for Giroud. And I thought Leao's finishing in particular, a little bit fortunate with the first one. Um, but the way he performed, he's now starting to really kickstart his season because he started off slowly. So I know it's not many games into the season so far, but started off slowly. And if you're going to introduce yourself this season and have an impact, there's no bigger occasion. There's no bigger game to have that impact than in the Derby. So outstanding game. I thought the finishing overall was very, very good on the day. And the game itself, high energy, high tempo, and it tells me a lot about Italian teams going into the Champions League week as well, JJ. I'm telling you, this is um, tough groups the Italian teams have been drawn into in the Champions League. But when you see a game like this ahead of a Champions League game, I think Milan will be really looking forward to the Champions League this week. When you look at all the Serie A teams in the Champions League, most of them, all of them, except for Inter, have revamped. Inter added Lukaku, who wasn't there. That was a big miss for them. I think he was out with a, a thigh injury ahead of this. Massive miss. And it showed because they got pressed in their end. I was impressed with how Milan pressed them. And this is why you go with young players. Young players have the confidence. Young players don't care one lick. And you and I were young players at one point. When you have confident young players, they will go and press anyone. doesn't matter if it's Inter Milan, Derby game, Madrid, Champions League. And it showed on the night. The numbers that they're, AC Milan was willing to throw forward that's a big difference from last season to this season. Last season, I thought defensively, they tried to be solid and hit on the counter. But this season, their transition has been really impressive. And that's why you pay the money to have a player like De Ketelar. I was impressed with him. His ability to occupy spaces behind the shoulder of Brazovic. Now Olivier Giroud, when that ball goes into him, it invites Rafael Leal. It invites Messina. It invites other people to go up when you have a playmaker that you know, you know what? When that ball goes from front to back, I know that someone's there to win the second ball. And I know as long as I make a run forward, he's going to find me and other people. Tanali thought he was good. The assist to Leal just, he probably hit the ball a bit too wide initially for Leal. But hey, luck has to be on your side. As you said, not the cleanest of finishes. But I think. 
the fact that he hits it with his left foot and not his right foot catches the goalkeeper off guard. And he put it in the only spot he could have put it because it was a tough angle. And Olivier Giroud, I think Christine Cupo was calling him the sexiest man in football. Well, he was the sexiest striker inside the box in Serie A with his finishing, his hold-up play. I mean, just don't looking. Know, I think Carlos Soler's got something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> no, but just I, I'm so excited to see Olivier Giroud, the most underappreciated striker in the world's game right now, back at his best. And when I think of Olivier Giroud doing what he's doing in Serie A, I think of what it could mean for the French national team. What do you do? Big Ben's doing this thing for Real Madrid, obviously the Champions League glory. And Giroud, if he has another good season with Milan, what do you do if you're Deschamps? You can't have both, or can you have both with Griezmann on the bench? I mean, that's a big discussion, talking about the French national team with someone like him, obviously scoring goals. It's, it's a great discussion to have because they've got so much quality now, and JJ obviously knows that more than anybody else. I think that um, going back to the Derby game real quickly, Inter Milan are starting to have a goalkeeping problem right here with Handanovic. And I don't know if you both agree with me. I'm intrigued to hear what you've got to say about it, JJ. But Handanovic is looking older now. Not as fresh. Certainly not as good shot stopping. Um, looked pretty poor in the Derby game. And I think defensively, obviously, it doesn't help when you're, um, your three centre-backs in front of you are playing like traffic cones, not even moving. <laughs> I mean, that to me was an embarrassment. The second, the second goal in particular was embarrassing. And I think... Um, there's no doubt that we'll probably start to see Handanovic maybe just take a few minutes out and we'll see Onana get his opportunity. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's really, both, both of you have put forward really interesting points. So to answer your question about Inter to start with, I mean, I was surprised that they sort of hung in there tooth and nail and avoided selling Skriniar this summer because with the sort of sums that were being discussed with PSG interested, that money could have, you know, rejuvenated a number of positions in that inter side if they'd really been smart about it identify the talent that they wanted to bring in uh, you know to, to boost several positions across the pitch and it feels now like inter I've kind of stood still while their other rivals uh, you know have, have strengthened rejuvenated their teams like Mike was saying and it, it for me, I think that this could be the season where Inter get outstripped, you know, champions, you know, very recently, but they haven't really pushed on. It's almost like they've tried to hang on to that amidst their financial problems. And had they embraced that as, you know, quite a lot of clubs around Europe are having to do these days, if you can get into the sort of, you know, being able to sell when the player's value is highest, you know, and then cash in, bring in younger players who are well scouted, uh, you know, in order to, to rebuild yourself, uh, especially sort of with an eye to the future, because, you know, Handanovic, it's not like he's got that much resale value at his age. You know, you need to be able to, you know, bring somebody in like uh, AC Milan did with Mignon, having lost Donnarumma on a free transfer. So, you know, it does really feel like a, a reckoning moment for for Inter and whether they're going to be able to move forward and remain competitive for Champions League places. With regards to Italian teams overall in the Champions League, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for Milan. I feel like they're experienced, uh, you know, in certain areas, but also, you know, they have enough young talent that sort of needed last season to mature. I think they're going to be much better, much more at home on the, the Champions League stage this season. Uh, and I'm hoping to, to see quite a big uh, group stage performance from them. I thought it was fantastic to see Simon Kiar getting back on the pitch as a substitute late on in the derby. So, you know, big, big things, I hope, uh, for Milan. In the same way that we saw Inter sort of do better second time around uh, after being crowned Italian champions. Now, one team who I 
don't think I'm going to be too impressed by the Champions League this season. I'm seeing them in action on Tuesday. That's Juventus. They laboured to a 1-1 draw against Fiorentina. Uh, guys, what are we expecting from uh, Juve? I'm going to let Mike jump in first on this because it feels just so underwhelming. I mean, players were rested. It's a big game, obviously, uh, against the Viola. But, uh, you know, it just... For me, it feels like something is not quite working. I've noticed there's a lot of pressure on Allegri as well on social media. Uh, you know, it, it kind of just feels like he's already resigning himself to having to battle for second place in the Champions League group behind PSG uh, and fighting it out with Benfica instead, who incidentally have had a fantastic start to the season. Juventus fans should be worried because their key players that they signed are unhealthy. They're injured right now, and that has a massive impact. When wow, and then Paredes comes on and uh, loses a penalty in his first game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 not the start that Allegri and Juve fans hope for, or these players hope for, and that that happens sometimes. Uh, every player wishes they can go out and score uh, the first goal, like Anthony, in, in their debut. Uh, unfortunately, it's not to be. And Angel Di Maria, at the end of the day, when they get him healthy, you will see an uptick in form. He is just the golden goose of this entire Juve project moving forward. And Vlahovic, he, he, as he goes, this Juve team goes without Di Maria, but him on the bench, you know, it, it's always going to be a tough ask. And maybe they did that, yes, the Champions League. But I go back to my point I made. The last Fiorentina player who went to Juventus and came back to Florence, it was not a pretty sight. Baggio, I think back to that is maybe they did that for <laughs> Vlaovic's own uh, security peace of mind. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I'm always trying to pick on things that can actually get after you, but, but I completely agree with you on this point. It, it all revolves around Vlahovic. If he doesn't play, they look a different side. If he doesn't play, then you're worried about where the goals are going to come from. And they got players, Juve. They've got a, a squad full of players. I mean, they're good good group of players. Um, I think Allegri's under so much pressure, as you pointed out, JJ. And it's not just social media. I think the Italian media is probably the worst. The Italian media are getting mm. after him right now um, for his formation, for the signings, for starting 11, for resting players. I mean, anything you could think about, they're getting after Allegri. The players who went out there at the weekend were still good enough to really challenge against this Fiore side. Um, obviously, offensively, I think there's a bit of talent there with Di Maria. No doubt Milik is a, a proven goal scorer through multiple leagues. However, not necessarily a Vlahovic-type goal scorer. And Kostic has struggled as far as I'm concerned so far. But for Juve to only have four shots in a game against Fiore even if it's on the road, is a massive, massive disappointment. Team has just got no confidence right now, no chemistry, clearly under pressure and completely underachieving. So I'm completely with you. No chance they get first place in the Champions League. They are fighting that out. And you're absolutely right. They are battling for second place. Yeah, good point from AJ though as well, because as much as we're looking at this from a Juve point of view, Fiorentina, very, very underrated side in Serie A and, you know, looked like they could be good for uh, for potentially breaking into the Champions League spots last season. Wasn't to be, who knows, maybe this will be their campaign. But the team leading the way at this moment in time, Napoli, and they won 2-1 away at Lazio. So definitely uh, a team to keep an eye out for, as well as uh, Jose Mourinho's pragmatic Roma side, uh, who are away at Udinese later on. Right, now we're going to turn our eye to the rest of Europe uh, and look at some of the headlines and uh, we've got Ian on the show so uh, I, the you know a fantastic <laughs> old firm clash um, but you know Celtic coming out on top quite dominant were you were you surprised at the way that this one this one played out I, I know it wasn't necessarily the the result that you personally were were hoping for 
Well, no, don't don't jump don't jump don't 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 jump to conclusions just yet. I'll just put my accent into a wee Scottish one here. No, no, no. Listen, I I don't I don't have a team here. You know, I'm not Celtic or Rangers. Um, obviously, growing up in Scotland it was always difficult, and you always had to kind of choose this blue side or this green side. Um, you all know, see where I played in my career. I ended up playing at St. Pauli. So for me, it's um, it was a great game. I covered the game, and it was absolutely fantastic from Celtic. And to lose Furuhashi so early on. In the game with a shoulder injury it looks like he's going to be missing now for this Real Madrid game um, that was a big disappointment and I was wondering how Celtic would react from that but their tempo their energy how they play in midfield the chances they created caught Rangers completely off guard I thought they were absolutely outstanding Abara outstanding Giacomakis came on for Furuhashi he was very good as well um, but Rangers completely not at the races again. At Celtic Park, they seem to really struggle under Van Bronckhorst. They were 3-0 down in Van Bronckhorst's first game at Old Firm last year at Celtic Park. But you've got to give credit to the way Ange Postacoglu has got his team playing. They are dynamic. They are dangerous. They are better than they were last year. And they're champions for a reason of, in Scotland. So I think with the atmosphere, Celtic Park, the way they played coming off the back of this result, and I know it's the Champions League coming into town, Champions League holders, Real Madrid coming into town. It'll be a tough game for Real Madrid because Celtic, they're a good, good side, and they proved how good they were domestically against Rangers at the weekend once again. Uh, question for you, Ian. If you're Gio Van Bronckhorst, what do you think he needs to do to revamp his side? I mean, a lot of losses, a lot of key figures. Calvin Bassi, Joe Rebo, not in the team anymore for a team that reached the Europa League final. What do you think he needs to do to revamp this team to be able to compete with Celtic in the SBL? Well, the problem you're seeing in Scotland right now is obviously it's a two-horse race once again, and the Champions League, getting to the Champions League for both of these clubs, the group stages, brings even more money. So there's even more of a distance between the rest of the, the teams and uh, the Premiership and, and Rangers and Celtic. Um, Rangers are right now a selling club. Celtic are right now a selling club. They're not spending a lot of money, but what they're doing is they're enticing these players from, from different regions in the world. If you look at the, the Japanese culture and the Japanese players that were brought in by Postacoglu, and many unheard of and all of a sudden superstars and what will happen is if they keep on playing like that they will be sold and Rangers um, obviously did so well under Steven Gerrard you bring in a legend uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst back to the club they have great success on the European stage getting to a Europa League final was outstanding and they relied heavily on home field advantage. I mean, outstanding atmosphere at Ibrox always. Traveling fans obviously help and Rangers travel in their numbers. But they've still got a good team. They've had a discipline issue with Morelos, who was recently out of the squad, brought back in at the weekend. He was a sub. Um, Cholak has been very good in his place. He's been a very good signing and watch out for him on the European stage. I think Rangers will be okay. Um, they did struggle, no doubt about it, in that old firm game. They were just completely beaten by a better side who wanted it more. But I'm really impressed with um, with what Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has done. Good to see James Sands play, but didn't play well this past weekend. And although he's pretty much cemented his place in the starting lineup, Rangers will be okay. I like Ryan Kent. I think they're a dangerous side. They can be dynamic. They can get forward. They missed Tom Lawrence at the weekend. He'll come back into the side. Rangers will be okay. They'll make it interesting for that second place in the group, no doubt about it, in the Champions League. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Real Madrid coming to town in the Champions League. Uh, they warmed up for this one with a 2-1 win over my beloved Real Betis. Los Beticos first drop points of the season, but it was a close one. And I think that is the, the kind of match that they needed uh, in preparation for what is going to be a tricky task in the Champions League. Wouldn't you agree, Ian? 
Yeah, it's a tough one for them because going away in that first game, we all know sometimes Real Madrid can struggle in the first two or three games in, in the group stage and then all of a sudden they wipe everybody out. But going at Celtic Park is going to be a tough one for them. And JJ, I think they've started slow Real Madrid, even though they've, they're winning games. Um, obviously, they're doing pretty well at the top of the table and it's hard to criticise them, but it's late goals that are rescuing them. It's small victories that are winning them games. They've made some improvements, I think, in midfield. Casemiro, even though he's, he's a, a complete hero of that trio in midfield alongside Modric and Toni Kroos, I think him stepping out, Chalmeni coming in there, I think, it's, I think it's a very good player coming in. And Real Madrid, I think, have improved just a little bit. They're just slow getting going sometimes. And you wouldn't recognize that from the way they're sitting at the top of the table uh, domestically. Um, but Real Madrid are a team that are just so well coached, so well organized. I think their moves have been very good. They don't spend a lot of money. I know they spent a ton on Chalmeni. But if you go through the last couple of years, they didn't spend anything last year. Nothing. I mean, they wanted to spend big this summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they wanted to. They wanted to improve. To know, they wanted man. to get better. How do you improve when you're the Champions League holder? How do you improve? And they look at where the experience is, where the young players is, who they have coming through, Castilla getting into the team. And um, what they've done once again is they've just put together a terrific squad that will challenge once again for the Champions League. No doubt about it. Yeah, and an interesting point on that, uh, based on something that was mentioned actually by Marker, Real Madrid have generated 340 million euros in sales over the last seven years from their academy. And these sales put Real on par with Benfica, Ajax, Monaco and Atleti's academies in terms of the, the sales, which is a really interesting observation, as was your point about Real being slow at the start of the season. Because if this is what slow looks like, I think yeah. there's a lot of elite European clubs who, yeah. who would love to, to settle for the, for the for the same engine that Real have but on that hmm. we saw Real get beaten by Sheriff last season and they still went on to win the Champions League at the end of the day so you know maybe that's the best way for the, for them to get into it to warm up but I can see Mike was uh, itching to, to add something to the <laughs> chat there no, this is the Real Madrid way. When they've won La Liga, they, there's always drama. There's, there's always leaving it late. Even in the run-in last year, I look at the game against Sevilla, who we have to talk about after this. They were dominated. They were very fortunate, but they took three good opportunities. Real Madrid, under Carlo Ancelotti, yes, under Zidane, they were world beaters. They had the class. They had I mean, see, Ronaldo, Bale, Benzema. But under Carlo Ancelotti, it seems like they need to get punched in the mouth first. Or, or have some sort of, you know, just something to play for that gets them disgruntled, and then they're coming to life, and then they're beating you, and you're scratching your head thinking, how do we, how do we lose to that team? We were the better team. And this is going to take some time to adapt. I mean, those are some key pieces. Casemiro gone. The, the fact that this is only a few years out of Ronaldo, and yes, Gareth Bale, you know, he, he's, he's still swinging what's his handicap on the golf course it's still really really good <laughs> but this is still a team that is is transitioning and now they're transitioning into playing younger players Camavinga, his athleticism in the midfield it, it's a different dynamic than having tony cruz a player who did not start this game with champions league around the corner they're trying to set the stage for moving beyond two of the elder statesmen who have been the linchpins for their champions league success over the last what eight years yeah, really good observations from both of you and exciting as well to see how Real are sort of trying to, to bridge this need, uh, you know, to rejuvenate their team, freshen it up uh, while they were very publicly chasing Kylian Mbappe, who they ended up not 
bringing in this time. We'll see what the future holds uh, on that one. I don't doubt that they'll go back in for him bef uh, before long. But, uh, you know, moving on to another team, as Mike said, uh, you know, in Spain, who are in great difficulty. Sevilla thumped 3-0 by Barcelona. Lewandowski brace, Koundé uh, clean sheet and two assists on debut. It's looking pretty grim for Julian Lopetegui right now. I mean, I've gone in hard on Sevilla already a couple of times this season. I feel that they it's quite a journeyman makeup to their squad. Uh, I don't understand some of the decisions that have been made, like letting uh, you know a Campos go when I still feel that he had something maybe to offer. Uh, and it just feels like, you know, this is perhaps not Monchi's finest moment, uh, you know, and it feels like, you know, this Sevilla side now needs something new, a breath of fresh air. I've seen people suggest Pochettino already. Uh, how much longer are we giving uh, Lopetegui before uh, Sevilla, you know, look to, to ax him in? I think it's going to be interesting. And you mentioned it. When you sell players or you give up players like they have done, I mean, they've made some money. There's no doubt that the money coming in is, is business-orientated. It's smart decision-making from outside. But to be able to replace those players right now in this type of transfer window um, or transfer market is insane numbers. So protecting themselves financially, making sure they make the right financial moves and also trying to keep players happy is not easy anymore, JJ. It's not easy for any coach because you've got someone who maybe gets a word from his agent, maybe gets a word that Barcelona are interested in you and how do you keep a player like Koundé happy if you, you say, oh, you know, you got to stay at the club because uh, we're going to need you at the bottom of the table this year. It's just impossible nowadays. Players hold all the power because the numbers that are being thrown at these clubs are too good to turn down. Um, obviously, results don't bode well for them. It was another embarrassing performance. I thought uh, Barca this weekend were very, very good. Um, they obviously created a ton of chances. They were fun to watch. Um, what concerns me most about the Sevilla side is the lack of belief in their coach, the lack of belief and confidence in one another anymore. I mean, you're relying on an old-timer trying to create opportunities for you against the Barcelona side. I mean, you're, you're relying on a 30-plus-year-old, and, and that doesn't bode well for a Sevilla side. So I think you're right. I think we could see changes coming at some point. And the only reason, though, JJ and, and Mike, is I think the results are just not going to come for Sevilla, and it's going to be very, very difficult for them in Europe as well. But Barca look good as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Lewandowski, not bad signing. Yeah, when I think of Sevilla and very quick point on them, you give away your pretty much your whole back line. Sevilla is a team that is predicated on being solid defensively and maybe getting the odd goal here and there and against big teams. They have been good defensively over the last couple of seasons when they won Europa Leagues when they were that pesky team from down south in Andalusia that you couldn't get rid of if you're Real Madrid or Barcelona or even Atleti, it's because they made it so frustrating for you. Now you could drive a Cuban missile through their, their their two center backs. Diego Carlos, you see the importance of him. I know he's out for Aston Villa. Sorry, JJ, I had to mention it. But And also Jules Koundé. This was the Jules Koundé revenge game, showing you the assist he had to Lewandowski, the diagonal ball, Jules Koundé making a case. I know I feel like I'm a, a, a French national team file but hey, he's making another you case. Be, you wouldn't be the only one in this chat. <laughs> yeah. But just that is a world-class ball. Kunde showing that he's more than just a good 1v1 defender. It just his ability to get forward, I think he's going to thrive in Barcelona because they need an outside back. 
An interesting final point on La Liga as well. An update after we said that Iñaki Williams' incredible run of making 236 consecutive appearances was at risk due to an ankle injury. He actually ended up starting against Espanyol to keep that record going at 237. So very, very impressive. Before we move on to final thoughts, guys, um, two of the big dogs, uh, you know, who will be in Champions League action this coming midweek uh, involved in, you know, quite mixed results over the weekend. Bayern dropped more points against Union Berlin. Uh, Lionel Messi teed up Mbappe twice in a 3-0 win over Nantes. That's four assists for him in a week because PSG also beat Toulouse midweek as well. Vitinha picked up an injury, but it sounds like he's going to be okay. Uh, and you've got Marseille just breathing down their necks as well. What are we expecting from the, from, from the big guns like Bayern and PSG? Are they going to start with uh, with big victories uh, or are we going to see one of them perhaps struggle? Ian, I'll go to you first, obviously with an eye on the Bundesliga. Yeah, thanks for going to me first because I'm sure you've already heard uh, the criticism I'm receiving for saying that Bayern Munich are going to struggle in their league this year in the Champions League. Um, I didn't expect them to struggle domestically. Um, even though they haven't lost a the game, they're still not conceding a lot of goals. They're just struggling to, to win games. When you take a Lewandowski away from a team like Bayern Munich, you're automatically taken away plus figures and goals. I mean, astronomical figures and goals. And to be able to replace that killer goal scorer we're talking hundreds of millions now we're not talking about a 75 million dollar striker anymore um Sadio Mane is not a Lewandowski he's not that type of goal scorer so it's going to be interesting to see how Bayern Munich handle the Champions League they've obviously got a very difficult start against Inter Milan who will want to do better after what they did against AC Milan in the derby game I think it's going to be tough for Bayern Munich this season in the Champions League. Domestically, they'll still be champions. I don't see the other sides really um, causing enough problems. I don't see enough from Dortmund, the Gladbachs, the Freiburgs, the Union Berlins, the teams that are up there right now competing. I don't see enough from them to say that they can do it all season long. And um, certainly the squad in depth is not as strong as what Bayern possess. But the Champions League is a different animal, like you both know. So I think Bayern Munich will um, will pretty much struggle in the Champions League. Although, I'll finish on this point. I know, Mike, you're going to jump in about both. But I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing, JJ, from Marseille. They've really got me hot on my seat right now. And I think they're <laughs> going to make a few stirs in Europe. No doubt about it. Mm, I think the custodian heard you talking and criticizing Byron because he just popped in when you started talking Ian and gave me the look <laughs> of death of like, is that, is that Ian just saying stuff about Byron? Cause this is a Byron team that I agree with you. You said that it's so difficult to replace Lewandowski, but they're replacing Lewandowski with a guy who has thrived in the champions league inside your money. I think that is where he can really just strut his stuff. And that partnership between he and Thomas Miller is going to take time. And they, I think they have a group that he can get quality goals to, to just get that consistency. Lewandowski, before he came to, to Bayern Munich, when he was a Borussia Dortmund, he had that that the trampoline, which was that game, that four-goal four goal game against Real Madrid that showed he could get it done in the Champions League. And also he was doing it in the Bundesliga. And it was a transition from one team in your league that you're competing with Bayern, against Bayern in the Bundesliga to another team, the Hollywood team in German, German Bundesliga. You know the league better than anyone having played in it. I agree with you about this is their their domestic league to win. But I think Sadu Mane, if he can get hot, if he can get in form and get more settled in the Bundesliga alongside Jamal Musiala, England, you missed out on a gem of a player. I think he's gotten better and better since he came into the first team. And I think he's a star in the making for PSG. I'm intrigued by this team because everything has gone 
just to perfection so far, mm-hmm. but they haven't come up against Marseille. I can't wait to see them. I'm actually thinking of going to a Marseille game when we come to Europe in October, JJ. So you got to give me the tips, the do's and don'ts, because I, I hear the Velodrome is a place to take in a game. Uh, it absolutely is. And it's bouncing right now, as Ian said, you know, OM, a lot of questions were being asked coming into the season. Igor Tudor falling out with pretty much everyone at Marseille. But I mean, I said this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when people were asking me about, you know, whether, you know, Igor Tudor should be seen as kind of like a bad uh, you know, influence coming into this group or whether he's, you know, just basically trying to get some of these guys out of their comfort zone. Yeah, you know, it was an achievement to finish second in the league last season. I thought they were disappointing over the end run in Europe. Obviously, losing Dimitri Payet was a big blow. But I think if, you know, you have somebody who comes in there, lights a fire under them, they're going to be able to, you know, potentially go toe-to-toe with PSG or at least keep up with them in terms of points. Uh, you know, I think it's fantastic to see teams like OM and Lens, uh, you know, real classic names in the French League, you know, sort of keeping pace with PSG at this moment in time. Like Mike said, it's almost gone too perfectly so far for PSG in terms of the way that they've seamlessly, uh, you know, adapted to, to life under Christophe Galtier, yet still sold over 20 players. Expect more to go. Mauro Riccardi not on the tran- on the Champions League list. He'll probably be moving on before the Turkish window closes. At least there's an expectation that'll happen. Uh, you know, and I think it's just set up to be a really, really interesting week. Uh, first week of, uh, of of Champions League action. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, you know a situation. To, to keep an eye on. Anyway, guys, uh, you know, uh, before we go to our final thoughts, just saying thanks so much for listening to Kegolasso. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also available as video. So subscribe to us on YouTube and visit us there. Guys, I'm going to go to Mike first. Final thoughts ahead of what is shaping up to be a fantastic week. You know, I was going to do this in my intro, but I'm just going to do it now. I've got Bob Marley and the Whalers in my head. Baby, don't worry if you're a United fan about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be the, all right. Is, is this that Ajax I culture, like uh, rubbing off <laughs> yeah. on United fans yeah. already? <laughs> we are Ajax United FC. No, I'm I'm just so happy. And I, I think with European football coming in to just free flow and we're on the, the cusp of it, everything just makes more sense and the Premier League teams the Scottish teams in the Champions League this is a year where there seems to be more balance in the soccer universe I can't wait for European football yeah I'm looking forward to it. it's going to be obviously not just the Champions League also Europa League and even the conference I mean some of the groups the way they've been drawn it's terrific it's a fun watch but the Champions League in particular the greatest club competition in the world it's so exciting um, the draw itself was phenomenal and I think we've got two or three really dark groups I mean really really tough tough groups to get out of and then we've got two or three lighter ones where you would say there's a, a clear favourite and possibly a second favourite but I think you'll see a few surprises not just the one surprise this year there'll be a few surprise results and there'll be a few surprise teams getting knocked out in the group stage clearly we witnessed where um the group of deaths are so watch out for some of the opening uh, fixtures bring in some surprise results because that's where match day one match day two you're going to start to see teams really struggle and teams really realize that they're in trouble in the champions league this campaign with a condensed schedule the way they're going through domestically ahead of the World Cup and a condensed schedule with Champions League, this is going to be very, very tough for a lot of teams. And you're recognizing the teams who have quality and depth on their bench and can rotate players might be the teams that survive the longest when it comes to the Champions League. But this is just thrilling. Can't wait. Really excited. 
Yeah, fingers crossed it delivers in the way that we're all hoping. Well, that's enough from us, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And until next time, it's goodbye.